Hello, and welcome to the Google Drive beta. Um, isn't there already a Google Drive? Yes, this is a different Google Drive. Where can I take you? Oh man, this is so cool! All right, let's just take a test drive around the block. Destination acknowledged. Beginning journey. Um, car? Please wait. Downloading vehicle configuration. You didn't have that already? I was trained on a different vehicle, but do not be concerned. I am compatible with over 3,000 different vehicles from 24 manufacturers. Configuration downloaded successfully. Beginning journey. Oh, okay, so that is reverse. So this is Control Structure, episode 65 for July 16th, 2014. A big week to everyone listening. Uh, this show has show notes. Uh, visit the nexus.tv uh, slash cs65 to see them. Uh, I am your host, Andrew Bailey, and with me today is Stephen Orvis. Hi. Hey, so, uh, yeah, you're back. Yes, I am. How, uh, di- how did you enjoy your uh, time off there? My time off was very nice. Yes, it was... Uh, Hey, you actually listen to a podcast. Well, part of one. <laughs> hey, I don't care. That's great. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so recently I've been sort of, uh, you know, uh, I borrowed my mom's carpet shampooer. So I've been sort of shampooing the carpet around my apartment in phases. So, um, like, I want to actually clean up a little bit more. But, oh, well, that's stuff for another day. So, um, hey, let's get right to this uh, sort of news here. So, uh, Jeff Rubin interviewed Matt Chapman. Who are those guys, you wonder? Well, apparently Jeff Rubin is uh, one of the guys at uh, College Humor, but Matt Chapman is one of the guys that made Homestar Runner. You might have seen a few of those cartoons over the past 20 years. Uh, Matt explains his perspective of, you know, like how the show gained popularity, uh, how the cartoons were actually made, and what's been happening since it sort of stopped a while ago. So they made a uh, an April Fool's joke sort of intro uh, this year, and it got a lot of uh, a lot of uh, hits. So they're thinking about maybe bringing it back later this year. And uh, this, you know, podcast here has sort of exploded on the internet. So I'm pretty sure that he's actually gotten, like, way more hits since then. Well, if there's people coming, that sounds like a good indication that he should do yeah. some more of it. Yep. So, uh, and now for a Comcastic disconnection. Uh, Ryan Block, who is a respected internet journalist from a variety of Apple gadget blogs, uh, called Comcast, like, within the past week, and was transferred to the cancellations department, or the retentions department. Uh, so this, the representative on the other end starts acting like a dick and won't actually let them tran- to, uh, not transfer, but cancel the service. And, uh, so after about ten minutes, uh, he decides to put it on speakerphone and use his other phone to record the conversation. And, uh, yeah, it, it's sort of cringe-worthy. I actually listened to all of this, and, uh, yeah, uh, fair warning on that one. It's 
I've always heard that Comcast has uh, bad customer support, and then I remember in PC Magazine that was always when they do the rankings of the different companies, Comcast was always very low, and that's something I, I've looked parents because they they have Comcast up there, but just the whole thing with the bad customer customer su- support like that, I don't know if we'd want to ever have to deal with uh, the company if they, if they have support like that. Um. So yeah, I've had Comcast a couple of times before in the past, and like I've never actually had to deal with their customer support over the phone all that much. In fact, I don't think I've ever had to. So uh, aside from like actually establishing the service, so uh, how how I was just how is your services for as reliability? I've heard you sometimes it's not quite as good as other ISPs. Um. For what I experienced, it was very good. Okay. Um, except for when Chris, uh, that is the Chris who was on this podcast, uh, decided to turn in his uh, schoolwork at like 11.59 p.m. Let me guess it was due at midnight. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, guess what the uh, internet decided to do? (laughs) So uh, maybe not 11.59, maybe 11.55 or something, but... uh, like, sort of, like, in the critical zone. And, you know, he's, like, whining to me. He's like, oh, the internet's down. Uh, and I tell him, like, I'm trying to go to bed here. Um, I really don't care. Uh, goodbye. Uh, so, you know, like, I actually suggested uh, to go over to the campus and, like, camp outside to get a little bit of the Wi-Fi. <laughs> and maybe he can uh, uh, submit it. So, but I don't think he ever did that. So he just took the bad grade instead? Uh, yeah, the slightly uh, bad grade. So I think like most of the time they only deducted like 10 points or so. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, let's see. And like I remember a couple times where uh, like I hurried up and did something like sort of late-ish at night, uh, only to realize it was due like the next day or something. <laughs> like I had another 24 hours to do it. And I'm like... I don't care. <laughs> I I don't I don't want to uh you know deal with this. So you got it. You thought it got it done early. Didn't procrastinate. <laughs> so so yeah. Um, I think I might actually uh 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 how should I say use Comcast as leverage uh, because you see in Pittsburgh. Uh, we actually have something called uh, broadband competition. It's something that only about three other cities in the United States has. Um, so, uh, right now I'm paying like $80 a month for 50 megabit Fios, uh, whereas I can jump over to Comcast, uh, for $60 and get a hundred megs. Um, and then after like that introductory period, it goes up to like 75 or so. So like, uh, and I think I might be able to renew my uh, Verizon contract like within the next month. So I'm going to try to, like, negotiate them down, like, 20 bucks a month or so. Because, like, Verizon is not offering me value. That sounds like a good plan. I, I've never heard how that, that works with negotiating prices. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, with uh, Comcast, uh, The Verge dug deeper into why, uh, like, bad customer support is such a systemic problem. It turns out that... Uh, even a rep that retains 70% of the customers that end up coming his way, he gets no commission that month. So he has to retain like 80 to 90% of people that come through. Wow. 
So like that's that's why uh, this guy kept on bugging uh, bugging Ryan there. So until that changes, well, you're gonna have uh, bad customer support. Yeah, if they're paying people to mistreat people, that's gonna do that. So uh, let's continue our depression and talk about the Kickstarter uh, Fallout Nuka Break. So this is a live action drama uh, web series uh, that's set in the Fallout universe. Uh, that's Fallout from the games. Uh, stand by for garbage truck. So you can put on the be- the beeping. <laughs> no beep this time. The guy's a pro. Okay. So uh, uh, anyway, this is like a uh, you know like a web uh, series. Uh, so it's based upon Fallout the games. Uh, so like the whole world is uh, post-apocalyptic, and it's based upon the nuclear hysteria of the 1950s, except the bombs actually fell. Um, the uh, like all the categories of things that this goes over, it can get really dark at times. You know, betrayal is almost nothing. Murder happens quite frequently, and there's a whole bunch of slavery going on. Um, and, uh, you know, even though, you know, oh, a whole bunch of nuclear bombs fell, uh, there is, like, radiation in a few places, but it's not as prevalent as you would think. Um, although, in at the end of Season 1 of Nuka Break, like, a town just goes up in smoke. I mean, they're still nuking people in the, in the episodes? Um, yeah, like, in the games itself, like, there are still bombs uh, lying around. Ah, okay. And uh, especially in Fallout 3, like, the cars are apparently have, like, miniature nuclear reactors in them. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, like, if you go around Fallout 3, you know, shooting at cars, you shoot at them enough, they catch fire, and they explode. Ha, <laughs> nice. And, uh, like, when they do, there's, like, always some light radiation around them for a little while. And, uh... Uh, let's see, in a few places you can, like, chain react them together. <laughs> so, like, suddenly you'll be shooting at one, and suddenly, like, everything blows up around you, and it's amazing. Oh, I see. So, uh, but, uh, hey, let's uh, cheer up a little bit and talk about potato salad. Yes, the so famous potato ca- salad Kickstarter. Uh, so, uh, Zach Danger Brown... Uh, from, like, my part of the country, uh, that is Columbus, Ohio. Uh, he's, uh, making potato salad. He apparently hasn't decided quite what, uh, what kind. Uh, so he, uh, you know, wants to make potato salad, so he, uh, is kickstarting it. Uh, right now, uh, he stands, uh, he, he, uh, his goal is $10. And right now he's, he has fifty thousand dollars so he's you know crushed his uh, original goal by like i don't know five thousand percent uh there are currently over six thousand backers for this so so the best part is under the risks and challenges section it says it might not be that good it's my first potato salad yes so uh stand by while i uh kickstart this so um yeah, I'll probably actually be going over uh, and watching this guy make the potato salad. Um, I'll just call up my mom as a service and say, can has hotel, please? There you go.
Raspberry. 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 So now introducing the Model B Plus, and that this is a little bit of a revision uh, of the Model B. So it has like the same specs, like has in the same CPU and memory as the Model B. Uh, except this has four USB ports, a micro SD card, a more general purpose IO pins. It uses slightly less electricity and a few other things. I feel like the IO pins is going to be a big deal for the people who are actually using it as a interface. Uh, I was at the Pittsburgh Tech Fest a while back and someone spoke on like robots in general and they discussed the Raspberry Pi and they said, a common thing people use a Raspberry Pi with a oh what's it called uh, uh, hmm I forgot the name of it it's another it's an Arduino that's what it is they use it with an Arduino typically because the Arduino has lots of ports on it but it's kind of hard to deploy the software or do it and things like that so you couple a Pi with an Arduino now you can deploy your software easily and you have tons of ports mm-hmm. but perhaps if with more uh, I/O pins you can achieve. Uh, what you need without the Adreno add-on. So apparently they uh, rewired the audio circuit, so apparently it'll have a better quality audio, and uh, the form factor is a little bit smaller, it looks like. Uh, maybe not, uh, but the uh, mounting holes are differently, definitely different, so you'll need a new case with this. So uh, what do you think? I think the USB ports is a very practical change, but... You need to power it with a hub if you're using that many USB devices. Even though they, I mean, yes, it says they reduced it between half a watt and a watt, but still, Um, more USB ports is going to be a lot of power. And uh, maybe, maybe not. If uh, if the input power is enough, you can run like a mouse, keyboard, and like a thumb drive, uh, no problem. Maybe your inputs. I I guess I'm I'm thinking. Like my Pi with with a Wi-Fi adapter, if you boot it with the Wi-Fi adapter plugged in, it works. But if you plug it in after it's on, like it's just enough of a power surge to tip it over the breaking po- point, and the Pi crashes. So, well, then again, I can imagine a uh, Wi-Fi interface uh, would, you know, of course, use a little bit more power. Yeah, but I, I guess that's kind of the point. It's like you have four ports. What are you plugging in? Probably Wi-Fi. Hmm, maybe. If, if you're just going to the keyboard mouse theory, really, that's your, your two ports that the other Pi had. Right. But I, I think, I get the feeling that the hubs are pretty common now with the Pis. Of course, so if you say that, then of course, why would you need two more ports? Exactly. So, but uh, if, for those of you who actually want a faster machine in the same form factor as the older Raspberry Pis, there's the humming board. Uh, this is uh, board, not bird. I was looking around for humming bird uh, and didn't actually find this. Uh, so the humming board has uh, op- you know several uh, options, uh, including multiple core ARM v7 CPUs. One has a gigabit network. Yeah, uh, but it looks like it's wired up to the USB interface, so it can only go to like four hundred some megabits. Oh yeah, it is. <laughs> so. And, uh, uh, th- that, that high end, uh, uh, that high end skew, I guess, uh, model, uh, has a real time clock with a backup battery, which is like one of the things missing from, uh, like Raspberry Pi. 
See, I, I feel like it's not that big of a deal that it's missing on the Pi, though, because most of the time you're plugged in the internet anyways. So, um, again, this is the uh, like the same form factor of the, as the Raspberry Pi, so uh, you can slip it into any uh, case uh, for the old Pis. So, yeah, you can throw out your old Pi, buy one of this, and a Model B Plus to get all the new stuff. And uh, uh, the Raspberry Pi Foundation says that they will continue to manufacture their uh, existing two models. So they'll now have three models. I like that they, they did that. They aren't just like, oh, we have a new one, we're going to phase it out. Instead, they're like, we'll keep the existing one. If people want it, we'll make it for them. Right. They're, they're, they're willing to do that. I like that attitude there. And they they made the new one. It was still thirty five dollars. So it's not if you want to buy the new one. It's it's not like a lot more that they're trying to milk you for the money. It's they made a new one and they're offering it for the same price. Yeah, and I remember looking around on Amazon for my uh, Raspberry Pi, and uh, it was you had to be careful because a lot of them were more than thirty five dollars. That was back when probably they were scarce too. When uh, there weren't many of them around. I think. That's a, I think it was about a year ago I bought mine. So, um, so yeah, let's talk about something that won't run on a Raspberry. Uh, like, well, uh, it is web technology. That is true, but <laughs> I was thinking more of a company who is not known for Raspberry Pi products. There you go. Um, Microsoft, that is. Uh, they have open-sourced WinJS. And uh, WinJS is essentially like their JavaScript uh, programming library. Uh, so, like, it's all about the uh, modern UI stuff. Um, so now you can, uh, like, write desktop apps and web apps with, like, the same code in the same library, and they'll look the same, like, everywhere. I like how they have the uh, online demo, so you can go and see the, the code and the, the out- output and see what they look like. Yes, the uh, try WinJS site. So let me load this up here. So, you know, some of the things, you know, behind modern UI I kind of like, but the, uh, like, the elimination of any kind of 3D effect on anything kind of ruins, like, the very subtle cues on things. So you're saying by going forwards in the Windows 8, what used to be all fancy and, and splashy in Windows 7... Now we're kind of taking a step backwards by going onto the web. Exactly. But it's taking us a step closer to the Chromebook. What? The Chromebook, you know, just all web browser. You don't need any application. True. Just your your web browser. Not that I want that, per se. Uh, Well, one of the... uh... One of the members of this podcast network, uh, Ian Buck, has a uh, Chromebook. I see them on sale from time to time, but I never... And I'm not sure who's buying them because, like, the top-selling laptops on Amazon are Chromebooks for some reason. See, to me, I looked at them briefly and I was like, nah, I, I want a laptop. I'll install Linux. I'll put what I want on it uh-huh. and do what I want on it. So, uh, hey, uh, let's talk about some more free Microsoft stuff, like free ebooks. So... Uh, like, I'm not exactly sure how many of them there are, but there's like over a hundred, uh, books on, well over a hundred on Windows 7, Windows 8, Office 2013, 365, 2010, uh, PowerShell, Exchange Server, Link, uh, Azure, SQL Server, like all that stuff. 
really the thing is these books probably should have been free a long time ago and nobody's have been free because they're for products microsoft products it's like the documentation guide and was for the product it's like what you're gonna charge me for the software and then charge me for the documentation that goes with it too pretty much so like it would be like a free like advertising thing for your platforms yeah they, they really should have been free already which i think a lot of it may have been but this is nice that it puts it all in one point anyways yep but not that i'll probably be reading them so hey i thought that you might think that they were useful Useful if I had time to sit there and read it all. <laughs> so I'll go to my time machine, freeze time, read all the books, <laughs> unfreeze time, and continue on with my life. Wow, I'm so much smarter. I know. <laughs> so a reporter from the Wall Street Journal posted his Twitter password for everyone to see. Uh, apparently he wanted to test the two-factor authentication, and it apparently held up and worked. Kind of. So, uh, yes, although it worked, it kind of leaked his cell phone number. And this guy called William texted him with his own cell phone number. (laughs) So, uh, like, he has, like, three points or so here. Uh, Maybe, like, four. Uh, You know, he says, you know, know what two-factor authentication is. It's, you know, uh, something you know, which is your password, and something you have, which is your phone. Or, like, some other thing that can spit out a number. Uh, get a password manager and use it. And uh, review your password recovery questions. So, you know, those are pretty easy to guess if you know the person well enough. Yeah, that is always shady with bank accounts when you sign up for it. You know that there's the uh, the questions like, you know, what city did you first live in or, or something like that. They are normally questions that are kind of open and public. Mm-hmm. So, uh... I, I think the, the key oftentimes is those questions are paired, though, with an email to your email account. So that's kind of the other step, the link that needs completed, is they need to hack into your email first to get at your bank. True. So, uh, robots.txt is a sort of informal protocol that governs how robots use the web. The standard is just over 20 years old now, and here's some accumulated wisdom to make sure that you aren't doing it wrong. So, like, there's this file that sits on the root of your website, and it's, you know, it contains instructions for, like, the Googlebot, uh, bots for other search engines, uh, and others, uh, that's, you know, specifically tell the robot to not browse a certain path on your site. So, like, you can exclude, like, a certain path on your site, but then allow something within that path. Yes. So, and, like, there's a few gotchas. Uh, Like, uh, you know, make sure that, like, if you're going to put something on your website that you don't want, you know, uh, robots to browse to, make sure you put that in the robots.txt, like, about 24 hours ahead of time. And, uh... Uh, like all sorts of caveats with uh, like meta tags for robots and like how to actually author the uh, the file. I was reading the robots file that they linked to from Yelp.com and it has the oh, I'm not sure how to say his name as the mods three laws for robots. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, while while cute, you know, you can put comments into your robots.txt, uh, but, like, 
you know, unless a person is actually going to be reading it, which is going to be quite rare, uh, it's not going to do anything. And uh, one of them actually has like a robot down at the bottom, uh, Etsy. Yes, I, I saw that. That was pretty good. I think that's there just as an Easter egg. It's like, hey, if you've read this file, you deserve to get some humor out of it. Yes. <laughs> so uh, speaking about the web, uh, Mozilla, uh, they've released Moz JPEG 2.0. Uh, we've actually talked about this uh, in a previous episode, uh, uh, but they've uh, released the second version of it. Uh, Facebook is apparently getting in on this. Uh, they're pretty interested in their testing that. And Mozilla has tested Moz JPEG against other next generation image encoders. And, you know, for what it is, uh, like, they've been doing pretty good with, uh, with JPEG. So, you know, granted it's a standard that's like 30 years old, uh, compared to others, you know, from about 10 or so years ago. So now I'm trying to remember the the thing was it would in, uh, encode the the file in a more efficient manner, but any standard reader would still be able to read the JPEG file, correct? Yes. Even though the reader was designed on a standard that's 20 years old. Exactly. Yes. That, that that's kind of impressive to make things backwards compatible and still make them work. Yeah, it's. Uh... Like, I remember, you know, reading about audio encoders, like MP3 encoders, um, like especially the Lame project, like they've, you know, redid their code like so much, so many times, but like the standard, the MP3 standard itself has not changed. It's basically a specification for a decoder and how to decode a stream of bytes into sound. Um, in JPEG, it goes along the same lines. It only specifies a decoder that decodes a string of bytes into an image. It's kind of interesting to um, uh, to see how how you make the decoding be a separate process from the encoding, so, so that you still get the same answer. Well, I guess you're not getting the same answer back out. That's the key there. Yeah, it's not the same answer. It's a it's lossy just a format. Answer. <laughs> yeah, a good enough answer. Good enough. It's yes. like using floating point math. Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, have you uh, really been taking note of the F- FCC and net neutrality of late? Mm, I watched that video about the from the famous talk show host, I guess, on TV. Yeah. Think about it. Uh, so the deadline for FCC's net neutrality comment period has been extended until Friday due to overwhelming load crashing the server again. Um, I love I love how they're keep it, how, how they extend the deadline. I don't know if they're hoping they get a different answer or I mean if you have this much feedback, either they're getting spammed by bots. <laughs> Like an army of bots leaving feedback. Like imagine Comcast and all the big companies have these bot armies spamming the FCC. Either that entire country is spamming them. So you know, it's it's great that you know people are actually getting involved in government. You know, it'd be great if it would continue. There's a lot of other more important things they could be involved in, but it's a start. Exactly. I still say it's a bot army attacking the FCC website. <laughs> that, that could be. Yeah, that could be. Uh, so uh, Y Combinator, a prominent venture capital firm in California where everyone's a singer-dancer hipster, uh, has eloquently stated an argument for reclassifying broadband under Title II. Uh, they make the case that small startups can't pay every last-mile provider for bandwidth 
this means that fewer companies will have multiple Instagram valuations, uh, that is multiple billion dollar valuations, uh, which handicaps Y Combinator's investments. So, you know, this is, you know, uh, someone important, uh, like a very important company, you know, saying, hey, this is a really bad idea. So, and it's a very long letter. So, and, you know, they go over, you know, of course, you know, we, uh, we've invested in like these huge big name companies, uh, like Dropbox, Airbnb, uh, see, uh, let's see, Coinbase. I think that's uh, like a Bitcoin thing, uh, Reddit, uh, Twitch, and like uh, lots of other companies. And, you know, they're saying that, uh, you know, we've helped start this many jobs and, like, these companies have gone on to, like, rad radically transform the way companies do business. And, like, these are sort of household names or becoming household names. And, uh, you know, basically saying that if, you know, ISPs routinely charged content providers for uh, transit, that, you know, these companies uh, would not grow as fast. They might not even exist. So. It's definitely a very different internet. One interesting thought I had is, if the FCC is getting that many comments, what is their plan for analyzing them? I mean, are they going to seriously hire people to read the comments? Are they just going to run a script and pick keywords? and um, Interns? <laughs> interns. <laughs> That's true. A lot of interns, though. <laughs> so... Um... Andy Tannen, Andy Tannenbaum is retiring. So this is the guy who created Minix. And, uh, he, this guy is a college professor. And, uh, this, you know, Minix is an operating system. And that in turn inspired one of his students, uh, named Linus Torvalds to go and make Linux. So the interesting thing is Minix, uh, mascot is a raccoon. Yes. It's a free operating system. I actually, I'd heard that Linux more so came from Unix. I don't. I probably have heard of Minix before, but not really. Um, well, the thing about Linux was, you know, he, you know, Linus just wanted to create a kernel, like an operating system kernel. Yeah. And then, like pretty early on, uh, like he started porting over the GNU tools to it, and that like actually created programs and stuff that actually allowed you to build and you know actually function. Uh, with the programs, or with the system. So what would a reason be for using Minix today? Because it doesn't look dead, like it looks quite alive, the project does. It's more of a study in operating systems, so like I don't actually know of anyone who's running this like seriously in any kind of environment. So, and uh, see, I'm not sure when it was, but like Minix, like only recently in the past 10 years became open source. Ah, okay. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, th this is, like, one of the guys behind the scenes. Like, he's he's not the famous guy. He's the guy who inspired the famous guy. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And it says that, uh, apparently his, uh, uh, like, re farewell lecture will be streamed. And, like, apparently it's, like, an open registration for that. Yes, the internet can come and visit them if they please do. So, yep, good luck with that.
And uh, now for some appreciate. Uh, last week we had two deprecates, uh, if I recall. But now I want to appreciate something. And what I want to appreciate is a browser plugin called Disrupt to uh, it pretty much does what it says right on the label. It uh, replaces any instance of the word disrupt or like any other kind of uh, variation of that and changes it to uh, It's uh, pretty funny since uh, like I you know read a lot of tech blogs and stuff and occasionally I'll come across like some sort of uh, like marketer or venture capitalist or something who's always talking about disrupting things. And you know what? I just got tired of that word. So I wanted to do something about it. Uh, and, uh, well, I actually wanted to do something about it after I saw this. Uh, so it's a plugin for Chrome and Firefox. It's pretty funny how it works. So, uh, like, you're just, you're just, like, sometimes you're just reading through, like, a Wikipedia article, and you just come across a swear word. And... Sometimes I think that's really hilarious. So, of course, I have it installed right now. So, like, I'm looking at the uh, the GitHub page. So, uh, like, it doesn't actually replace the other instances of the word. So right now the title of this is... So, uh, it's it's pretty weird, you know, going looking for updates on this thing. Looking for updates? Oh, because you can't Google it? If you Google it, it would... Well, I can, I can, I can type in disrupt fine, like into a text box. It won't change that, uh, far as I'm aware. Uh, but when it comes back, uh, then like it, both, you know, both words will be, will be the same, like on both sides. Confusing to read the internet. Yes. And hey, it's the internet. Sometimes there's, uh, you know, swear words in places. Uh, let's, uh, get some, uh, podcast feedback. So Ian says, wow, Xanadu exists now? That was unexpected. Do you know uh, what the, do you know that they made a reference to Xanadu in the game Kentucky Route Zero? Strange game, but it's art. And uh, I wanted to talk about it for about two shows, but I just hadn't included the link until then. It's been about 50 years, so what's another month or two? So uh, Ian mentioned Flawless Ryan voice. I now suspect that Ryan wasn't even on the show, but Andrew was just talking to himself while changing his voice the whole time. <laughs> well, it turns out, uh, Ryan replied to that saying, even I was fooled into believing I was on the show. So we also had some uh, podcast feedback from Steven, which I believe is a new listener. Hey, thanks for listening if you're still listening to this. Uh, he, uh, said many people that do DOS attacks are just nice guys and don't really want you to go broke. I think Ryan's theory made sense. So, and then Steven said, paid to break things sounds like a fun job. So, like, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of other, uh, other occupations where you're paid to break things. I guess QA technically in software breaks things and that's what their job. Because they gotta document it when they break it. Yeah. I would uh, actually hate to be QA. That would seem like a boring job to click the same thing again and again and again. Um, let's see, like a demolition derby? That would be good. Yes, and uh, like maybe uh, uh, garbage, uh, like garbage engineers, I guess. Garbage like the, engineers. Like uh, garbage men. They can break things. Okay. So, yeah, fun thought exercise there. 
Uh, so if you would like to uh, submit uh, podcast feedback, you go ahead and do so on the nexus.tv. In fact, if you're uh, looking at the show notes, go ahead and click the link right below our uh, right below you know our names on the side there. And don't forget that today is International Back of Awareness Day. And uh, hi, mom, how you doing? I think I might have to come over there again sometime. And I will try to bring back the uh, the carpet shampooer this time, okay? <laughs> so, and uh, yeah, that seemed to be a very quick podcast. How long was it? Uh, well, right now we're about 40 or so minutes in. So, but hey, that's okay because, uh, you know, it's kind of summer. People are kind of out doing things. And I am uh, apparently slowed down posting on my blog a little bit. Uh, but, uh, hey, I just finished a few games, so I'll be posting about that pretty soon. And I might be updating my, uh, web server that's hosting the blog, finally. So, um, let's see. And I think that might be all I'll be doing, uh, all that of note I'll be doing. So, uh, would you like to add anything else? Well, right now I'm trying out the Steam backup tool you recommended to me. It does appear to be much faster than the... The Steam backup tool, and the Steam backup tool was just odd. It made a file that looks like a folder that has all my, the names of the games in it. That's gotta be past the character limit. Windows won't even let me delete it. So, <laughs> Steam backup tool, obviously, the, the Steam native backup tool obviously is broken, and so far the Steam backup tool seems to make a little bit more sense in what it's doing. So, so we should see how it goes. I think I've actually restored using it too. So. Okay. I'll have a chance to give that a try, I guess. And uh, it'll do differential backups, I think. I saw that option. It does have the option, which is really nice to have that. So, like, you can, like, click a button and say, like, only back up the games that have changed since the last time I backed up. Yeah. Which, I mean, yeah, that's just a standard backup feature. That, that, yeah. That's a really nice one. So. I like how it's it's breaking up them up as zip files per game, too. So it looks like you could... Uh, can kind of manage which ones are backed up. It puts the Steam backup tool looks like it was just doing it by DVD size, and the yeah. whole backup was a chunk. Yeah, like that whole disc like based fixed size thing is sort of weird these days. Yes, I mean maybe however many years ago, but not today. So, uh, all right. So I guess that'll be it. So have a good one. You too. Well, I've got. My gear boots, and I've got my gear hat, and my gun is holstered by my side. Searching for something, though I don't know where it's at, for a place to rest my head down at night. My head at night. Lead me home, lead me home to a place I call my own. Got a Drops left in my canteen of gin. Canteen of gin. Lead me home, lead me home. So tired of being alone. Gotta find a home for this I've lost sin. <laughs>